The Art of Leadership. How often do you hear it? How many books and articles were written about it? But do you think about artists as leaders? Often people are surprised when they hear it. Artists are leaders. But as today's guest, Dove Barron will show, leadership is about artistry. And artists are the agent of change. And how it all connects to Gen Z and business leadership? Well, you will need to stay for that. So let's start. We are being told to choose between the left and right brain, between studying art and engineering, between creative and analytical thinking. Our society tells us that art and business are not connected. But what if society is wrong? What if it misleading us? The good news is that understanding what art is can bring us to a new revelation. Art does matter in innovation, technology and entrepreneurship. And with the help of this podcast and its guests, you as well will learn that art is not an object. Art is a mindset. You are listening to the Artian Podcast with me, Nir Hindi. The majority of us encountered at some point leaders in our lives. It might be your high school teacher or childhood friend. It might be your first boss or colleague. But we recognize leaders when we see them. Leadership is not about role or authority. It is about human capabilities. And often, just like you see in an art gallery, a painting carries the name untitled. We often find the untitled leaders in the work environment. Leadership is not something we can take. It is something given to us by others. So what can we do to become better leaders? Dov Barron, an executive advisor, has been working in the field of leadership for many years. Inc. Magazine named his podcast, Leadership and Loyalty, as one of the top podcasts listened to by C-suite executives of Fortune 500 companies. He is also the best-selling author of several books, including One Red Thread and Fiercely Loyal, How High-Performing Companies Develop and Retain Top Talent. And he is joining us today to discuss all these topics and more. Hey Dov, welcome to the Artian Podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm excited and honored to be here. Dov, today we are going to discuss one of the topics that I think occupied many of us, not only in the business realm, but in political realms, in, in other realms, which is leadership. Now, from my experience, often people kind of mix between management and leadership. And I want to hear your opinion. Do you think there is a difference between leadership and management? And if there is, what is this difference? There's a vast difference between the two. Management is getting people to fulfill a bunch of tasks and holding them and yourself accountable for doing that. Is management part of leadership? Of course it is. But leadership is far more. Leadership is the transmission of a vision. Leadership is to share the heart and the soul of a vision that you're trying to put across to your people to engage them, to have them become champions for. And you can only do that if leaders lead. Now, what does that mean? It means that leaders must go first. So managers don't have to go first. It's like, go get this done. Leaders must go first. You've got to be the first in the trenches. If you're going to talk about, you know, we need to take greater risks and we need to be more innovative. Well, do you ever stick up your bum and you're not bothering to get innovative? <laughs> if you are, you don't have that right to say that. So leadership means you have the right to ask people to do what you're willing to do. And it's the transmission of a highly infectious vision. 
that engages your people at a heart, soul, and mind level. So they will go to battle for you. That's what real leadership is. So you already mentioned some of the qualities that probably what makes a good leader. Now you interview, I don't know how many leaders of the business world. I mean, I think your podcast, yeah, is on in the hundreds. Thousands, yeah. Okay. The thousands. Okay, sorry, I'm behind the numbers. And you speak with leaders from every aspect. And you already mentioned kind of the characteristic that make a good leader one of them. I'm interested to hear from you. What other characteristics make a good leader? You're absolutely right. There are so many different facets, but one of the key facets for me that is vastly different than even as little as 20 years ago. Now, of course, if you're 20, that seems like a lifetime ago, but it's not very long ago in business. But when I entered into the business world, I was told very clearly that vulnerability is a weakness. Don't let them see the chink in your armor, whatever you do. Pretend you understand and you know, and then quietly go away and find out. Never let anybody know you don't know. That's a bad leader today. That's a terrible leader today. A great leader today is open and vulnerable and willing to say, I don't know. Maybe you guys have a better idea than I do. Maybe all of you is better than just me, and I can facilitate that. So that level of vulnerability. Now, that vulnerability needs what we call discernment. And what I mean by that is when people hear this term vulnerability, you know, I, I've been talking about it for about 25 years in different forms, and thank goodness someone like Brene Brown has brought it to the surface and really made it popular, which is wonderful. But when people hear vulnerability, they think that that's permission to go emotionally vomit on your people. That is not what it means. It means reciprocity of discerned vulnerability. So reciprocity means I give, you give. I give you something, you give me something. That's a reciprocal act. Discernment means as the leader, I have to discern how much to give and how much to take. So what does that mean? It means if I'm dealing with some people who are incredibly wide open, I can talk about my childhood. I can talk about deep philosophical questions. With other people, they're not, they don't have that depth or they don't want to go to that. They don't want to step into that. And for them, the vulnerability might be as simple as saying, I don't really know how to do this. I know I'm the leader, but you, you, you're the expert in this. I would really like to hear from you that level of vulnerability. But it takes a level of not just emotional intelligence, which everybody's talking about, but more importantly, vulnerability takes a level of emotional maturity. And maturity has got nothing to do with chronology. It's got nothing to do with you're in a clock. It's got nothing to do with how many times we've been around the sun. It's your ability to mature in how you respond to somebody with emotional levels of compassion and empathy that is measured. Probably now listeners asking themselves how it's uh, relate to art. But before we get into the how it's relates to art, maybe you can share with us a bit about your background and how did you find yourself in the world of leadership? Okay. Well, we only got a little while. So <laughs> I'm trying to do the, the short version of it. Um, the short version of it is that when I was a little kid, my mom shipped me off to the rabbis because she figured I was possessed because I would talk about things existing beyond the veil which means I saw things or imagined things that were not physically in front of me. My mom thought I was going crazy. She shipped me off to the rabbis at Labavitch, and I started to, you know, learn. And, you know, I was very young and, and got very involved in that world. And as a young child, I was an artist. If you'd have asked anybody what I was going to be, including me, the answer was artist. 
uh, I was convinced I was going to be an artist. I then started studying uh, pranayoga, taught myself pranayoga, and started studying other things like that. And at 21, I left the UK where I was born, so that's a couple of years ago, and started to travel around the world to study with different spiritual masters. As I studied Vedanta, which is Hindu philosophy, Buddhism, the Tao, Gnostic and Coptic Christianity, and a bunch of other different religious philosophies. Found that I met all these wonderful spiritual people who couldn't, to use a term, get their shit together. So I wanted to study psychology. Like, why do these people not understand that? I started studying psychology, became fascinated with Jungian psychology. And from there, I started studying attachment theory. I became a therapist. And from there, I got kind of frustrated with people wanting to moan and complain and not do anything about it. So I, well, okay, what's next? So I started looking at what then was called in the 1980s, the um, science of excellence, which today is called leadership. There I met a lot of people who were kind of soulless. They had all kinds of success, but not much sort of soul. So I thought, well, how do you bring this together? And in 83, I kind of stumbled into quantum physics and neurosciences. And then I started to put the whole thing together and bringing that to a friend of mine invited me to speak for his management team who knew me through a completely other business. I'd own businesses on three continents. And he said, why don't you just come talk to my people? I'm like, about what? He goes, anything you want. And that was the beginning of that world for me of entering into leadership, but from this very strange space that allowed me to convey something in a way that was not being heard before. Which now kind of brings me to why I brought you on the show. You already mentioned vulnerability, and I have to mention one story to our listeners. Uh, last year, Airbnb, which is one of the companies I like, actually fired like 3,000 employees. And Brian Chesky, the CEO, kind of wrote very open letter about the situation, about how he feels, etc. And there was a lot of vulnerability in it. Now, why I'm mentioning Brian Chesky? Because Brian Chesky and Joe Gebbia both have Bachelor in Fine Art. Both of them actually graduated from an art school. Brian Chesky used to paint a lot when he was a kid. And I kind of ask myself, maybe the fact that he's an artist background allowed him to be vulnerable in a space that require the toughness that we always see in a business. The world is changed by the artists who in all their forms find a way to speak to our hearts and our souls and our minds in ways that the rationale fails miserably at. Every artist worth their salt challenges the rigid taboos with paintings and sculptors that shift our perceptions. Last year, you published a video before we, we knew each other, and you spoke about artists as leaders. And I'm very much interested to hear, why do you think artists are leaders? Thank you for asking that, because I do think it's really important. When I say artists are leaders, I am certainly not limiting that in any way, shape, or form to business. Artists are leaders. Now, let me just recalibrate artists, because when I talk about artists, I'm not talking about people who paint on a canvas although I certainly was that kind of artist. It's the writer, it's the dancer, it's the choreographer, it's the comedian, it's the actor. It's people who are in any way, shape or form in the arts and not even for a living, but in the arts. And because when we look at the world we live in, and as we look around today at 2021, you know, we can see the conflict, we can see the, the polarization, we can see all of these things. And one of the things that I know for certain is 
artists are leaders because artists likely have the greatest level of courage of anybody. We as artists awaken the minds that are sleeping. We are the lubricant for intellectual stimulus. We are the ones who have people look at things in a different way. When you watch that movie and you come away and you start thinking about what that message was to you, that was a piece of art that inspired you to question your own politics, to question your own mindset, to question your own rigidity about your mother, your father, your family, business, politics, whatever it might be. And the reason that good artists are leaders is because they are courageous. If you're not a courageous artist, you're not a leader. But the potential for art to lead the world is insanely brilliant. It can awaken the hearts and souls and the minds of everyone. And, you know, we just saw that at the inauguration of Joe Biden, when Amanda Gorman, who was this, the poet laureate who's 22 years old, who it was beautiful. When day comes, we ask ourselves, where can we find light in this never-ending shade? The loss we carry, a sea we must wade. We've braved the belly of the beast. We've learned that she was beautiful, and I'm not just talking about physically. I mean, she was beautiful. She was radiant. Her words were magnificent. Her words were a completely courageous statement delivered in such a beautiful way that people on the extreme left and people on the extreme right and people in the middle were lifted. Art is the elevation process for the heart, the soul, and the mind. Yeah, it invites so many things. I also kind of go back to Amanda and ask myself, how a 22-year-old poet managed to do what business and political leaders just don't? How she was able to capture this aspirations, hope, and dreams of so many people, and we cannot see it coming from our leaders. But she was never speaking from a place of politics, and that's why anybody could hear it. She spoke from a place of hope. She spoke from a place of inspiration. She spoke from a place of love. She spoke from a place that had no ideology beyond love. It was non-political. It, was, it had its roots firmly planted in the beauty of humanity, in the aspirations of humanity, in us being better. She actually, you know, said in her TED talk that poetry, it's bridge of languages. It's not separating languages. And what I love to think about her is kind of instead of divide, she actually unite. So I have another question for you about leadership, because again, you speak to a lot of leaders. And one of the things that is common perception is that business should be ruthless. And even the language is a war language. We are dominating we are taking our competitors. And you speak about leading with the heart, which in many ways kind of contradicts. So why? Well, I don't know how many big business people you'll have on here, but I'm about to piss off some people because I think leadership has to be courageous. And the, the goddess of modern neo-economics is Anne Rand. She's seen as this great burgeoning voice of capitalism, but really it's burgeoning narcissism. It's got nothing to do with anything else. When we look at the corporation, for instance, I don't, most people don't know this, but when corporations, when that idea came about to incorporate your business, you had to incorporate your business for a good of a community. You had to say, this is what this corporation is, and this is how it serves the community. And you couldn't get a license if you couldn't serve the community in that way. 
So it was about serving a community. Now it's about serving an ego. Now it's about serving a bank account. Now it's about dominating and destroying. So what if we need a new economic platform? The gap between the extremely wealthy and the extremely poor gets wider and wider and wider, and everybody in the middle is falling off the end. This is desperately sad. You know, 26 people in the world have more money than 3.5 billion. That's kind of crazy by anybody's imagination. So we need to now design a new economic model that is not socialist. I'm not talking about socialism. So if you're immediately thinking that, that's your bias. And by the way, just to be clear, that's simply a bias. If you can't breach your own bias, you're not an artist because that is one of the wonderful things that artists must do is we must breach our own bias and we must encourage those who are the patrons of our art to breach their bias. So how do you get to that? Well, one of my things as a kid, as well as my painting, was I was a poet. And there's a line from one of my poems that is still one of my favorite lines. I am the night of nothing, a powerful place to be. If we cannot return to the nothing, if we cannot return to the void where we can discover our soul, we are on a battle for things that are not ours. We're fighting for causes that are not our own. And everything in our world is dominated by this need to show how magnificent we are, to aspire to have them look at us. We become reality TV stars of our own phone so that we, you know, we do the little video and, oh, you know, I got 10,000 hits or 10,000 likes or whatever it might be. We're all aspiring to be reality TV stars instead of aspiring to lift the hearts and souls of others, to have a voice. And that takes courage. It's interesting because, you know, in the last few months, I started to think about LinkedIn as a catwalk in the fashion week. It's like everyone needs to see how great they are. And if I were a devil advocate, I would say, yeah, Dove, that's great. But the whole ecosystem doesn't allow for leaders to, or potential leader to flourish unless they are ruthless, unless they are telling people what to do. What would you tell them? How they can break the chain of, sure. of this? Well. So as in my book, Fiercely Loyal, which is my business book from 2015, I talked about how to keep millennials loyal. And one of the things that I'm seeing for all the research that we did for that book was millennials don't have the same value system. And by the way, Gen Z, Gen Z, depending on where you are, it's even more exaggerated. In fact, there's a pretty good chance that millennials will become the generation X of their time, meaning they may fade into the background as Gen Z become a dominant force. Now, there'll be less of them, but more powerful force because they are not in any way defined by borders. They don't understand borders. Borders don't make any sense to them because they've only grown up digital. Millennials can only remember digital, but they didn't grow up digital. Gen Z did. And the interesting thing about this is that in that book, I wrote about these, the C's. So one of those C's was community, that you have to build your business around a community. And now I'm actually saying in my presentations, I said it, the fourth C was community. Now let's make it the first C. Build a community in which to do business rather than building a community around your business. Serve just like the original corporations did, and people will do business with you. That will make you successful. Next one was cooperate. Cooperate inside of your business. Cooperate with the people inside of your business. What does that mean? Build an entrepreneurial environment. 
Build an environment where the entrepreneurial spirit of an individual who works for you can feel free enough to bring value to you, to your organization, and to those that you serve. 3M, one of their biggest products of all time, was the Post-it note. Yeah. <laughs> the Post-it note was a mistake that came from an entrepreneur inside of a business. Yeah. That's an example of it. Then on top of that is this one piece where I talk about, let's imagine, and it may seem far-flung to imagine it, but it's not. Let's imagine the death of competition. Well, you can't do that, Dove. You know, this is business. You know. No, hold on a second. What if instead of competition, if the only competition is how we can serve at a higher and higher level, then instead of competition, what we have is collaboration. So I say, Nia, what do you do? You say, oh, I'm in business. I'm a leader. I do blah, blah, blah. And, I, and you say to me, Dove, what do you do? Oh, I'm in business. I'm a leader, blah, blah, blah. And I come to you and I say, okay, this is wonderful. You appear on the surface, label on the box, to be my competitor. But let's look inside of the box. Let's not look at the label. Let's look inside of the box. And let's say, hold on a second. You're a business leader, and I'm a business leader. How can I serve your audience better? How can you serve my audience better? How can we come together, collaborate, create a community for our people where we actually evoke creativity within them, where we create that innovative ideas so that we serve at a higher and higher and higher level. So instead of competition, we have collaboration, we have cooperation inside of a community. You mentioned community, cooperation, and collaboration. And I'm thinking immediately about artists because often we tend to think about the sole genius, but often you see that artists actually create in when they are surrounded by other people when they are creating with other people and kind of this collaboration is what allowed them to progress. I think that Picasso and Brock is one of the great examples that Picasso could have done it without Brock over there working with him hands in hands. So we have community, cooperation, collaboration. So I have a question for you. What would you recommend for millennial or older generation business manager slash leader to do in order to to be ready for Gen Z, to lead them better? What they need to do? Well, as I said, first of all, this, <laughs> the most difficult thing to do is to give up the familiar. That's not um, Gen X. That's not uh, any generation. That's every generation. Human beings, we are neurologically, biologically wired to cling to the familiar because the saber-toothed tiger could come and we want to make sure that we know where all the safe places are. So what is safe? Well, safe equates to same. If something is the same, therefore it's safe. That is the death of an artist. Right in the, right in the water, right? We're dead there. But there is something called incremental innovation. We got an iPod instead of cassette tapes or albums or whatever it might be, or CDs. It's still incremental, and we forget that. We're always looking for the da-da moment, but the truth of the matter is it's always incremental. So you can measure the increments if you like, and you can measure it out and make it easier for yourself to do that. But here's the thing, Gen Z and on into the, this new generation that are coming up, these people who've grown up digital don't want any of your old ideas. It's fascinating for me because the world is in direct polarity to their philosophy. This is why I think they're going to change the world. Because the world right now is becoming more nationalized, more tribal, and they are very much more global. It doesn't because they don't understand borders. Thank God. So if you want to prepare for them, 
you have to create borderless environments. You have to create environments that give them room to have a voice. Because listen, millennials, their number one complaint was they would leave a better job to go work somewhere else because they wanted their voice to be heard and they didn't think their voice was being heard here. So they took a pay cut to go work there because somebody would listen to them. Well, you think it was a pain in the ass with millennials? I got news <laughs> for you. Gen Z will abandon you in five seconds. Five seconds if you don't listen to them. It doesn't mean they're right. And people, think, you know, older generations, well, they just want to be right. No, they don't. They want input and then they want feedback. They want to learn. They are hungry to learn. Be willing to teach them, but not as a one-way street. That's old industrial learning. That's the uh, Prussian schooling system that sits you down and brainwashes you. No, instead, you, they want to be educated to draw out the wisdom, the knowledge that is within them, become the sounding board that pulls it out of them, reveals to them the wisdom that they have. That is your number one thing to do, is to educate through in the version of educat, make space for, pull out. You're speaking and it's kind of make me think about some of the classes that I give to executive education. And often I, I share with them some of the topics that the Gen Z is occupied with. And one of them is creativity and art. And What I found very interesting, there is a research by uh, Snapchat, I think, they, they uh, ran, and 80% of Gen Z actually have, I would say, artistic offline practice. Now, when I mention it to the old generation, immediately they pissed off and they tell me, no, 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 this generation is not creative. And there is kind of, they are not open to see their creativity and kind of trying to limit them to their own boxes. Yeah, you're so right. May I tell you a little story? I was invited to speak at a, a group here that was an incubator group for high school kids. And I was invited to speak. You know, it was a pro bono thing, and it was right in my town. It was literally walking distance from my home. And I said, absolutely, I'd love to. So I get there, and, you know, there's no script. This is me. I'm just going to be me. I'm going to talk to these people. And, you know, they range between sort of 16 and, and 21 And so I, the first thing I said to them when I walked in is, listen, here's what I want you to understand. The world is going to tell you who to be. Don't be it. And you're going to think you know who you want to be. Don't lock yourself in. And they're like, oh, okay, I don't understand. And I said, well, I'll give you an example. When I was 10 or 11 years old, my art was in galleries. I wrote poetry every day, multiple times a day, and I was always drawing and painting and all those kinds of things. Everybody thought I was going to be an artist, including me. I'm not an artist. I don't, in the traditional sense, I'm not an artist in the way that most people would classify that. And one of the girls put her hand up and she said to me, do you miss it? And I said, no. To miss it means I would think about, I should be doing it. I want to do it. I miss, I, you know, I said, I don't think that way, that way at all. And she goes, oh, that's interesting. I carried on the rest of my presentation for over an hour. And at the end of it, I opened up to questions and I answered some questions and we were about to finish. And I said, I want to speak to you. And I, the very same girl who asked me, did I miss it? And she said, well, I said, I want to thank you. And she said, for what? And I said, for your question about whether I missed the art. And she said, why? I said, do you know the story of Michelangelo and David? And she said, no. I said, well, apparently, I, I don't know if it's true, but apparently... Michelangelo was asked, how did you create David? How did you carve David from this block of marble? And Michelangelo said, I didn't. I simply removed everything else. I said, the reason I don't miss being an artist is because I am still one. My job in the work that I do with 
very powerful individuals in the world is I chip away everything they're not to reveal the David that they are, to reveal the heart, the soul of who they are. And that is not an add, that's a remove. So I'm still an artist. Art is not necessarily adding, sometimes it's removing. Yeah. <laughs> it's a great story uh, about uh, Michelangelo and beautiful story uh, for your own uh, personality. I often think that the role of the leader is to actually take everything that is not the soul of your employee and focus on what they are, not what their skills are or what are their uh, degree is or where did they grow up. I mean, look beyond. Um, but yeah, Chip I guess... Chip away everything that's false. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. You know, I'm listening to us, both of us uh, speaking, and I'm, I'm thinking about um, maybe a, a traditional MBA, probably thinking, what are, what are you talking about? But one of the things that I learned, I came to do an MBA after I already had a few companies. And when my colleagues asked me, what is the most important class, in your opinion, in the MBA? And I told them, leading people and teams. I'm not going to be an accountant. I'm not going to do finance. Most likely the strategy is, yes, it's important, but it's less relevant for me. The most important aspect of a business, it's the people. And that's the hardest one to do. And, and it's also, the, but it's also the most minimized here. This is the problem. Uh, uh, totally. We, we, we actually insult it and we call these things soft skills. Uh, uh, totally. We call it soft skills. And hold on a second. If there is no people... Do you have a business? No, whether that's on the buying end of your, of your service or your product or on the, on the production end. You can get all the AI in the world. Somewhere there has to be a person who's interacting with this because I tell you, if we immediately vaporize every human being except you, you don't have a business. So why is it given such a second-class place in that people is the number one thing? I speak before organizations and groups all the time, and I say, You know, the one group I'm most pissed at, and, they, and people say, who? And I speak like this from the stage. And I say, sorry, I'm going to upset some of you. Human resources. Because you guys have got nothing to do with humans anymore. <laughs> you become a bloody buffer zone for the legal department. That's all you're trying to do. Like, why don't we have what I call a cultural department? I talked about becoming a CRO. And you become a CRO whether you are a janitor or you're the CEO. CRO, Chief Relationship Officer, understanding that if you don't take care of relationships, you don't have a business. And relationships is not about manipulating. It's about finding out the essence of that human being so that they can bring their very best to work. Because if you show interest in somebody, who they are at a soulful level, not even you know, beyond even their mom and dad and family and kids, but who they are at an essence level, they will produce for you beyond anything you've ever imagined. And they'll do it more reasonably priced. They don't need to fight for a few pennies. They feel soul fulfilled. And when we are soulfully rich, we want to serve. That's why I think artists speak to the heart, not to the pockets. It's amazing that still companies thinking only on the bonus that you get or the perks that you get or the, this uh, hotel that you stay, etc., which... Maybe at the beginning it helps, but it doesn't help you to maintain the people in the long run because there is always bigger company that can offer more. But as I said, the interesting thing is that millennials have shown us, and we've really got to pay attention to this in business, millennials have shown us, and it'll be the same with Gen Z. They don't care. Once you hit that plateau, which at present day is set at $73,000, 
once you hit that plateau, and by the way, just so everybody's clear, that is prorated, meaning $73,000 living in a moderate-sized city in the United States. That $73 is higher if you live in New York City. That $73,000 is higher if you live in San Francisco. But if you live in some back hole of Idaho or Kentucky and you work remotely, $73,000 is also prorated in that it's much higher, like it's worth more. So, but once we get past that lifestyle place, we don't, now we're negotiating on things that don't, no, no, nothing to do with money. We're negotiating on, do I feel fulfilled? We're negotiating on, does my voice matter? We're negotiating on values. Do I give a crap about this company or are they a bunch of vampires? We're negotiating on relationships. Is my boss a dick? Or is it somebody I enjoy? Like, that's what we're negotiating on. So, you know, even it's not long before you hit the point where you realize, oh, I can offer them another 20 grand a year and they won't care. That's one of the big lessons that our Gen X, anybody older than Gen X, so Gen X being 45 plus and anybody older than that need to remember. And all of us start thinking, oh, well, if I pay them more money, it's going to work. It won't. I have a question. You interview many creative leaders, Tony Awards winning Broadway producer, the vice president of product design at Hulu, and many, many others. And I wonder, what are some of the leadership lessons you learned from these creative types? To be honest with you, it's pretty much everything I've just told you. <laughs> um, I, I've just, I, you know, it really is. They are, you know, so for instance, they are values-based. So Ken Davenport, you talked about, was a Broadway producer, probably one of the most successful ones. Very strong business head, but driven by something bigger called serving. Whenever there's uh, another leader I can think of, I can't use his name right now. I can remember his name. I just can't use it. Walked away from a company because of the corporate culture was no longer befitting of where he was, where he was. The company got bought out by somebody else. He was the artistic director, did amazing work. And then he felt like, okay, now I'm going to become the Borg. I'm going to get taken in and I'm going to have to become this machine. Not going to be there. And this is a very high powered individual. So one of the things I've learned from those high creative leaders is yes, they can be, they understand the exchange of goods. They understand the, the monetary side of it. Even if it's not in an accounting way, they understand the, the perception of value but they also understand that they are driven by values, not just value. And on top of that, they also understand, this is one of the interesting things. One of my friends, Jamie Mustard, he is, um, he's known as the iconist. You can find his book, absolute genius, absolute genius. But what he understands is he understands the formulaic piece of art how art works formulaically to connect to the, the amygdala, to connect to the, the reptilian part of the brain to, to, in a way that emotionally bonds. Because business likes to think of everything as being logical and rational. And we know that even the, quote, science of economics is made up. They actually based it on physics, but it doesn't have the same rules at all. Because if you want to look at the stock market, it's very simple. Is the best stocks making the most money? No. The ones that are max the ones that are maximized do the best. What does that mean? That means the ones that are sold the best. How do you do that? You emotionally evoke people. People go, oh well, I'm very rational, I'm very logical. 
Bullshit. Nobody is. I don't care who you are. You can be Spock yourself. The truth of the matter is human beings make all our decisions emotionally first, and then we tell ourselves rational lies about them. And that's why we call it rationalize. We rationalize our emotional response to something. Artists, leaders understand the science of that emotional evocation that takes place through the creative. And by doing that, bringing that in, by intriguing with it, because art is seductive. Art is an emotional response that goes far beyond because it reaches into that reptilian part of the brain. I have a question and from knowing you from having all this conversation, I assume I know the answer. Do you think that creativity is a competitive advantage? I think it's probably the ultimate competitive advantage. If only, and again, I want to declassify because I, I've had people say this to me, but I'm not an artist of. Bullshit. Human beings are born creative. You don't get to be a human if you're not creative. Now, you may have classified yourself because the teacher at school said, oh, you're a terrible drawer, and so you think you're not an artist. Of course you're an artist, but your form, your form may be different. And once you grasp that, it shifts everything. So here's the question for you as you listen. Ask yourself the question, where does my art show up? Where does my creativity show up? Where is it that it comes to comes to fruition, because I know artists who are amazing with numbers, who are mathematicians, who are accountants, incredibly creative, and some of them haven't gone to jail. <laughs> yeah. It's like, that's why, you know, you were talking, I'm asking, do I want my accountant to be creative with my number? Uh, that scared me a bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, you know, I mean, it's like, look for that creativity. And, you know, it's interesting because we only give ourselves permission for it in certain places. So what I mean by that is, let's take, I want you to think, as you listen right now, I want you to think about the most rational, hard-ass, logical person you know. I want you to think about that person and think about how you know, this creativity stuff is wishy-washy and who cares and nobody gives a shit about that. And it's, you know, it's the bottom line, okay? And, you know, I have no time for this emotional nonsense. Okay, great. Now put them in front of their one-year-old grandchild. Where's the rationale? Where's the logic? <laughs> a baby that's under one. Hello. <laughs> I have a new grandchild, you know, and I'm talking full baby talk all the time, you know. Changing the voices, doing silly. Because that's who we are. All the rest is learned behavior that's got nothing to do with who we are at essence level. So look for your creativity. Does it come out in the way that you hold your grandbaby or your baby? Does it come out in the way that you speak? Does it come out in some form that you have categorized for your own emotional safety as not being artistic? But when you embrace that, your whole life will begin to flourish. Art is not just leadership. It is the fertilizer for everything that will make you a great leader. It's a very strong word, so I don't know if to ask more questions. <laughs> you can ask me anything. So, though we are getting into the end of our uh, podcast, and I have two more questions to ask you. You spoke about art as shifting perception, and I'm wondering if there is an artwork that shifted your perception. I think there's probably lots. As a kid, I was fascinated by Rembrandt, um, particularly his work with light. Right? I just 
that moved me enormously. As a kid, I never got, um, I didn't understand abstract and thought anybody can paint lines or splash paint around. And it wasn't until I actually allowed myself into the emotionality of, of it that I began to get it and it began to shift my perspective. But the, the art that shifts me every time, and it's the reason this person is my favorite artist, is Dali. I love surreal art because it is all about a shifted perception. It is not just some acid tripping journey. It is, it's a perception shift. And art is, art is acid on a canvas. But there's something else in art that I want to say because I think it's important for all of us. I believe, it's not the truth. I believe that a lot of the reasons that we shame our art, that we hide our art, is because we are shamed. We are brought into an environment where art is shamed. And if we shame art and we take that on, if somebody shamed us in our art and we take it on, then we will shame our own art and we will shame the art of our children and of all society. But what I know in my experience is art is born of two places. Art is born of the ecstatic experience. It is born of something transforming you, giving you a perception you never had before. But it is also born of pain. It is born of something that was so radical that it shifted your perception. Art is the healing force of the universe. It gives you a way to to put your tears on canvas, to put your heart, your soul in the world not necessarily through canvas, but maybe through your business. Because every leader, even though they don't know it, is driven by that pain, is driven by that desire to make a difference in their own life, in the lives of those they love, and ultimately in the ways of the world. And every artist is driven by that. Every business leader is driven by that. So art is born of pain, which changes your your perception of reality. And it is born of a incredibly lucid moment of transformational experience that also changes your experience of reality. And so when I look at something like the iPod, I see a piece of art because it transformed the way we looked at things. We didn't see things in the same way. When I look at nanosciences and nanotechnology and I do my research into those areas, I'm enthralled by the concepts of what it's teaching me about how my perception is this only exists big and then it doesn't. When I look at the universe and I study quantum physics or astrophysics and I start to see the, hold on a second, the space-time continuum is not what I think it is and that I live in a resonant universe where I am forming the universe and the universe is forming me. I'm informing the universe and the universe is informing me. Wow, I am in this creative delicious relationship with the universe, I can't be stagnant, even if I want to be. That is what's beautiful to me. Dove, first of all, I want to say big thanks for taking the time and sharing all these very emotional, I think, deep perceptions and thoughts and for sharing your passion to leadership and art with me and with our listeners. It was my honor and my pleasure, Nia. I I'm sincerely grateful to you. Thank you, not only for having me on, but for the work that you do, for the artists you bring a voice to, for awakening. Remember, it's all about awakening. By awakening others 
I want to thank you for that. I want to thank you for all that you do. And I want to encourage the people listening to understand that art is about generosity. So don't hoard this. Please share Nia's show with the world. Share it with your friends. Go online, rate, review, subscribe to the show, share it with others. Let's feed the creative souls of the world that are starving. We have a creative famine going on, not because there's a lack of creativity, just like there's no lack of food, but because there's a lack of willingness to share it. So please share this. Write to Nia. Tell him what you got out of this. Write to me. Tell me what you got out of it. My email, private email, dov, D-O-V, at D-O-V-B-A-R-O-N.com. You can write to me. Write to Nia. Tell us what you got out of it and what you're going to do with it because information is worth the whole in the donut. Transformation comes from the application, from the expense. Share. Be generous. Thank you, Dov. Everything that Dov mentioned, his book, his podcast, some of the talks that he mentioned, everything will be on the show notes. Dov, thanks again, really. I really appreciate your time here. Thank you, my friend. I look forward to a meeting in person. I don't know about you, but I reflect quite often about the topic of leadership. I see so many people that want to call themselves leaders without being given this title. I see, however, all those untitled, as I mentioned, people that never had official role that became leaders. I believe we all deserve better leaders, whether in our work environment, whether in our political system, whether in our education system. And from my own perspective, creative people definitely deserve creative leaders. Whether these creative leaders perceive themselves as creative or not, it's not important. Their role in fostering, encouraging, and more importantly, valuing it is huge. Let us know what you thought about this episode. What is leadership for you? Do you have creative leader in your life? You can drop me an email at near at theartian.com. Until the next episode, have a great weekend. I will be waiting for you here with another episode of the Artian Podcast with me, Nir Hindi. Once again, thanks for listening. Thanks again for choosing us, listening to us, and staying with us till now. We know that with so many content out there, you chose to listen to this one. So thank you for that. We are producing our podcast without any help. So if you find this valuable for you, I will be super grateful if you can help us spread the word by leaving a rating or a review. It will take you less than a minute and it's really, really valuable for us. Special thanks to Daniel Duran who mixed and mastered this episode and Abigail Dyson, our wonderful intern, who helped us put this podcast out there. If you're interested in working with us and upskilling your team's capabilities, if you are looking to hone and develop an artistic mindset, then I would recommend you to check our workshops and training. All the information is available on our website. You can subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Our previous shows are available on our website, www.theartian.com podcast. Each episode includes show notes, guest recommendations, videos, and other materials. We can also be found on our LinkedIn page, Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. And you can reach us directly via email at podcast at theartian.com. Once again, thanks for listening. I will be here waiting for you on another episode of The Artian Podcast. Thank you.